unaussprechlichen Rampen. My name is Marco Visconti, and through this podcast I will invite fellow magicians, occultists, artists, and mystics to rumble along with them and my supporters on Patreon. By doing so, I hope to introduce you all to a much wider perspective on magic and what we get nowadays from occult social media, which is frankly beginning to feel very stale, repetitive, and uninspired. If you want to be part of one of the next episodes, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash marcovisconti by pledging at the Yezod tier or above. And now, on with the unspeakable rumbles. Welcome to uh, episode 4 of Uno Sprechlichen Ramblen. Maybe by episode 10 I will be able to do it properly. To, like, I will be able not to eat my own words. I don't know. I don't know. How is everyone? Good to see you. And uh, tonight, tonight we have, uh, we have the most requested guest so far uh, on, this, uh, on this little experience here. We have the Isidora. Uh, apparently, everybody here really loved uh, when you invited me to your to your podcast, Ask the Occultist Next Door. That was last December, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah. Wow. It seems like yesterday, and it seems like two years ago at the same time. <laughs> because it's uh, time... Mysteries of time, they are the mysteries of time. That's very true. Without further ado, uh, I would like, if you can... Um, so who who's the Isidora? Tell us about yourself, because I mean you are a fascinating person character. Like you you are a mystic, you're a magician, you're a priestess. Uh, tell us something about you. This is probably the hardest question of tonight. <laughs> it possibly is, right? Because <laughs> uh, I I con consider myself um, a bit of a shapeshifter um, in some way or another. Not natural, not necessarily in a literal sense, but anyway, um, I'm by profession an Oxford professor. I studied mythology and classics, um, and I'm also a high priestess, a teacher, a mystic, a public speaker, and perhaps uh, a spiritual bridge or a guide to a few who feel resonant with my work. Um, I studied Egyptian and Celtic mysticism, which are most close to my blood lineage. And those are the kind of lines I, I weave into my work, mm -hmm. at least most recently. Um, I am a member of various uh, groups <laughs> that you are, are aware of, and we discussed them earlier as well. Uh, not necessarily an active member anymore, though. Um, and, I, I, feel, um, I feel that that is the problem with, with a lot of us who join groups, and then we realize that maybe it was better to do it on our own, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's the experience of working in, in, a, in a community, working as part of a collective. And then some of us obviously go, hmm, okay, I had that experience. Yeah. I learned, I got the t-shirt, I'm moving out of here. I got the not necessary in every case, not necessary in every case. Um, yes, yeah, so my... my um, um, lineage. I was trained specifically um, in uh, the cult of Isis, mm -hmm. so I worked with the divine feminine energy through the face of faces of Isis, mm -hmm. um, and um, I also hold a, um, a Celtic lineage on my mother's side. So I work. I dabbled in Celtic druidry a little bit, um, mm -hmm. and the metaphysical practices of uh, ancient Irish druidry and uh, folk folk traditions, if you can call it that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
So, like, I love the fact that you describe yourself as a as a metaphysical bridge, and um, because I really feel that this should really be what what teachers in this day and age should be, right? Like, not so much somebody that's so focused on only one practice and never do anything else, because that kind of breeds uh, staticity, if you want. Like, uh, kind of breeds, you know. Also, the the, the becomes difficult to 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 evolve any further and even like even help people to evolve any further uh you mentioned something about you spoke about your your lineage and i know i mean we can read it on your website uh and i also know from you know the chats we had before that um blood lineage is something that's very important for you uh one question i would like to ask you how do you define blood lineage without going into uh the problem that from time to time is connected with the idea of you know folkish right you know like something that's connected to you know to the blood as in like almost like nationalistic ideas and i know that's not the case for you because we have this discussion before but i would like to hear your your perspective on this do you do you do you think the nationalistic ideas or the elitist ideas well, they say nationalistics because <laughs> Elitist, I am not. I'm not against it. And <laughs> I guess, and I said, I guess we touched upon this already. But I would like, yeah. I would like to hear to hear from you again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yes, blood is important for me, and obviously, blood lineage through the blood is important for me. I think what is coded in our DNA, um, the information, the knowledge, the experience of our ancestors, their specific genetic makeup, their consciousness, their, uh, their thoughts, their practices, their, their experience, um, has an effect on us, both biologically and spiritually. So in that respect, blood lineage is important for me. In terms of um, uh, the, the aristocratic aspects of, of coming from, from a family that is perhaps considered a bit more spiritually involved or less spiritually involved and financially advanced, yeah. <laughs> whichever, whichever ones we're, we're looking at, uh, is, is less really in my focus. With, with my lineage specifically, I think um, for me, really digging deep and tracing down um, the stories of my ancestors, mm -hmm. uh, the experience of my ancestors, and how my soul connected to sometimes the stories that they lived or heard was a huge step in, in my personal evolution, in my, in my spiritual practices, and my understanding of, uh, of well, who I am, but also what I'm, what I'm here to do and what is actually my true north, what's my real medicine. Because there's so much information out there, you know, wh whichever community you are part of, whichever um, sort of inclination or interest you have, um, that to really come back to yourself and your ancestral lineage is a very powerful anchor. And, you know, we, we are obviously all mixed now in this world and we will find uh, some ugly and some pretty things, uh, but that's as part of the learning, learning journey um, for me. So my, my quest around blood in terms of my ancestry comes from there. And the other aspect of my blood quest really is about mythogenetics. Uh, which is an idea that the stories uh, that are uh, told and experienced and the folk stories that are experienced on the land you're from, that you have a biological genetic connection to, have um, a vibrational relationship and a genetic relationship to who you are as a person and how you can evolve. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's that's fantastic that you touch on the on you know mitogenesis as you call it, because I feel that it's really important to almost reclaim these these concepts from uh, from those who actually make it you know a political stance or uh, something like you know always like you know the bad guys out there, and we've seen a lot of that in recent years. So one thing that one thing that we've been looking a lot here in in this community, Magic Without Tears. Um, course we tend to be more you know ceremonial magicians and telemites uh and we will touch on babylon because that's a big that's a big topic coming up but another uh one thing that we've been exploring is in general the connection with what we call the other right and one way that we've been um we've been putting this other on the map is by means of calling it you know the fey host or the fairy or whatever you want to do it's it's, it's as, as you know it's a very even the name let's call them the good people so i will sleep good tonight as opposed to being way, waking up by many, many times uh but i know that this is so important for you um what can you tell us about your experience with the good people and the fey host so it's this is this is a really long topic really uh just because obviously as you yourself said there are there are different um agendas of the past um that were sort of washed over and applied upon uh the folk stories uh of of specifically i'm referring to irish scottish welsh eastern european mythology where which is where we sort of encounter the the stories and the ideologies and experiences and first-hand accounts of the fairy host or the good people shining ones whichever you like i like shining ones actually um um, or the good company and rich company and a proud company that's a good one as well um but anyway so what i'm really trying to um, do right now with my work is to peel away the layers of um the reverence the early christian uh, monks catholicism and those stories that were let's be honest recorded by sometimes well-meaning sometimes manipulative uh figures of history mm-hmm. um so we really have a lot of work to do here to to dig deep enough in time and in in our own resonance and and in, in the records of these stories to actually find a good definition but for me personally um good people are the elder race of our planet um, I consider them both uh, spirit and and a manifested being potentially, um, and I consider them the forever living. So they are not quite like our ancestors, uh, as in we don't have direct connection to them, or not everyone has direct connection to them. Um, but they live in or exist in the ancestral realms, and because uh, of where they are present um, and the time frame that um they were they were present they have memory of something that when we're looking for this other thing uh is very powerful very supportive for our spiritual journey they have a memory of of the original creation mm-hmm. yeah. and that question. memory is viable for us and it is exchangeable and actually without that uh, remembering without that knowledge without that information okay how is this world supposed to look like how does my world supposed to look like how does my soul experience supposed to be 
uh, how does my magical working supposed to be? How am I supposed to relate to this planet, this earth, this nature? How am I supposed to relate to the stars? All this information, uh, they actually hold completely pure. Yeah. Now, um, shining one's consciousness is actually connected to our planet. So they don't have something we have, which is free will, or at least I don't believe they do. Yeah. Um, so I to act yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, and because of that, uh, they, th there, is an, uh, uh, there is an intact harmony that's still present. And I believe personally that if we can offer healthy exchange for these memories and remembrances, um, then we can really manifest that information and that knowledge in the here and the now and potentially salvage our soul and our environment yeah. to an extent that we actually have a good uh, experience and, and a positive future on a sort of spiritual and uh, metaphysical soul level. How do how do how do we do that? How do we get in touch with the shining host? I like that. <laughs> I, like, I like the term as well because so let's use that. Um, there are ways. Well, what can you share? <laughs> there are with many us? ways actually. Um, but we start by actually cultivating a healthy relationship with nature. Mm -hmm. We go back to simplicity. We go back to purity. We, we go back to um, symbiotic existence. We go back to communicating with the anima in plants, mm -hmm. um, the consciousness in the trees, the consciousness in, um, in the animal kingdom, the creature kingdom, right? And we can also connect and encounter uh, these beings and hopefully be guided by them in the astral realms. So there's the very physical manifested experience that we can cultivate and there's an astral connection that we can also cultivate. I, you know, I think I think what you're t what you're telling us here, I think it's it's crucial. And that is the, and there's a lesson for every 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 person that, you know, thinks that they can do magic only by casting a circle in their in their home. Right. And that's kind of like. Um, um, what we inherited from, I would say, the Masonic structures of magic, right? Like the fact, the thing that you know, you can recreate your cosmos inside your lodge room, you inside, you cast the circle, and mm -hmm. you're there. Um, I think it was Peter Gray recently on the podcast uh, with Dara, actually, uh, the Spirit Box. Ed, he mentioned something that um, I agree with him wholeheartedly. And like in recent times, everybody is talking about you know embodying magic. I do that a lot as well. Uh, maybe I'm, I'm, I intend it more in the sense of, you know, reclaiming and learning sex magic, but that's another point. Uh, my point is the fact that a lot of people talk about embodying magic and then they never see them in nature. You never, like, you know, everybody is always like, it's, they never go out for a walk. They never try to, uh, to even, uh, you know, touch, you know, so to say, go out and touch the grass. Well, that's exactly it. Pretty much. Pretty much. Uh, I, I think, I think what you, what you mentioned here, especially, you know, the fact that these other whatever i mean like we can we can describe it as you do as the shining ghost like they exist in the astral but they have a present in the physical and and if if, if we only go for once i feel like we we miss we miss the connection there we miss the, the possibility of uh, uh, actualizing the connection itself so yeah that's that's a very good point um i think i'm gonna i'm gonna skip to another point now there's there, there's so many things we can ask you and there's so many things we have to ask you so um I mentioned briefly, and there was a bit of a cue there, uh, about the Masonic structure in magic. <laughs> uh, I, I know, I know that you also are a Freemason. 
uh, can you tell us a little bit of your experience as a lady Freemason and is this something that uh, that you would suggest to others a lot of a lot of a lot of people here a lot of women here actually ask me about my experience in Freemasonry and of course my experience is only with male Freemasonry and uh, it's very I th it, think there are points of connections and points of difference so what would you suggest to to anyone who wants to join the lady Freemasons so it depends on how do you see yourself uh, evolving in your magical practices. Mm -hmm. If you really feel that your journey needs um, to learn formulas, methods, techniques that are specific, and you grow from, because ultimately that's what we, we want to evolve, even magically and, and spiritually, we don't supposed to be staying in, in, in the stagnant old world. And you wanna wanna have an experience uh, that helps your evolution, then I think joining uh, a lodge in your area or even uh, the Grand Lodge, um, or the well, we're not actually part of it, but <laughs> as much as we're allowed in, <laughs> wrong genitals, and I'm already hinting there what what my problem is. Uh, <laughs> I would recommend it. Um, I think if you see yourself as a woman, as a practitioner who who will, uh, you know follow a, ma a masonic formula learning those practices really teach you a certain kind of discipline it really teach you how to work in a group how to really work with other people's energies and whatever they bring in and still hold your own um and you know that's valuable mm -hmm. uh, in terms of um your future i don't really think that um, female masonry is going anywhere um, so there's going to be a, a point, or it was for me, where I felt that, you know, this is, this is time for me to uh, sort of step a little bit back from being active. And I still value a lot of the information I learned. I think they were very important for my, my personal journey with discipline. Mm -hmm. um, um, because I, I am the one who, who goes off with the fairies, right? Quite literally. So, um, so to learn discipline from a Masonic structure was, was very important for me. Um, but um, Freemasonry is a little bit of a structure of a past. And we do need to learn the past to, to, to inform the future. But ultimately, um, I don't think it's going to be uh, you know, a long-term survival plan that female masonry have a long-term survival plan. I can't see that. I can't see it particularly grow either, at least not um, this side of the hemisphere. No. <laughs> so, um, and of course, the, um, my, my personal experience with this, we're still not uh, officially necessarily recognized by all the Grand Lodges. There's still this gender separation. It's, it's, mo it's, it's, a, it's a layer of unspoken or spoken, depends on who you speak to, sexism involved. Uh, you know, these are, these are ideologies and structures that uh, we have to transcend. You know, something that I, I can I can tell you I can tell everybody here like there's been a huge push in recent years to give uh, the two orders of female Freemasonry um, more visibility the backlash from the older members has been has actually made me maybe wonder if I even wanted to keep being a Freemason because I was like do I want to be associated with 
people that can be so violently misogynistic, right? Uh, at the same time, I do think that if, if Freemasonry, as we know it, has to survive, it will have to go uh, mixed, like, you know, like in, in, uh, in Grand Orient Freemasonry or Memphis Misery in Freemasonry, uh, because if not, if not, it's not going to survive, really. Um, I agree with you that it, uh, there's a lot of value in learning, learning the structure. Uh, but as, 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 like, at the end of the day, the structure is needed in order that, for me at least, that, that then you can get, get away with the structure and fly free with the fairies or with demons or depends on whatever you want to fly with pretty much. So um, in our previous conversation on your podcast, we discussed a lot the idea of divine feminine and the idea of Babylon, uh, which is, of course, this massive concept that it's very often misunderstood in Telema. And um, for those of you who haven't, haven't heard the, the podcast uh, with Dev before, I will put it into the description below as usual, so you can go and listen to that as well. And one thing that I've been trying to, um, to establish here in Glastonbury, and it's a very long process that's been fraught with uh, problems thanks to COVID and thanks to other, other reasons, uh, it's been you know, establishing one of the cloisters of Ecclesia Gnostic Universalis called the Babylon Magdalene cluster and my point being always like to try and if not mix to mix together because there's a, there's identities there of course but try to make um to to show the analogy between uh the telemic babylon uh, in her more earthly aspect and the concept of mary magdalene the, the figure of mary magdalene and one of the questions that came from Gemma, from logan from catherine everybody would be very be keen to hear uh, you discuss how you engage in embodied and devotional practice to the Mary Magdalene aspect of the divine, mm -hmm. and see if you if you feel it connected to Babylon. This is the big question. <laughs> the, the 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 last one is the big question. Okay, uh, I'm gonna do this backwards. Um, yes, I do. Um, so I'm answering the, your your relate. I think there is a relationship with Mary Magdalene and Babylon. Um, and I, I almost would go as far that if, if we, we hone down a sort of a concept or an ideology for Babylon that carries within herself this divine unconditional love, the, this, this openness to agape as we discussed in our, in our earlier post, then I think that is actually what manifests in Mary Magdalene at that specific incarnation of her soul that we, we all know about. Um, and that is actually a frequency she carries, taps into and then passes on, despite obvious scholarly challenges along a long time, uh, to us and to her disciples and then later on to, um, to her partner and then go on and forth to perhaps uh, this is a kind of consciousness that today is coming back to our awareness. It's very present right now. So um, I'd like to say that there are divine feminine faces um, that have good marketing strategies. And I think uh, Mary Magdalene has a very good marketing strategy um, because she taps into uh, the most powerful human concept that which is unconditional love. And let's be honest, most of us don't really know how does that look. And most of us don't know how un unconditional love manifests because our concept of love still, and despite, um, <laughs> despite our um, 
trying and, and devotion to love, we still end up uh, engaging in conditional connections. Yep. <laughs> Literally nailed the idea of you know what Babylon is, that the idea that Babylon receives everything and receives the all. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, an it's an element of you know, unconditional reception that it's very difficult to to understand. And I guess, you know, from a, from a Kabbalistic perspective, the concept of, you know, can we even discuss the supernals? Can we even discuss Bina? Can we even discuss, I mean, like from, from my, from my telemic perspective in general, the Bina you discuss, it's not the Bina <laughs> because it's, you know, it's something that's, that's outside the realm of manifestation. It's outside, it's up across the abyss. And that's where Babylon is. Uh, so, but do you think that if somebody like you say you say that there's various divine feminines and i agree with you absolutely do you think that we can we could use the more earthly and closer to us aspect of the mary magdalene to start approaching something like babylon which is more distant from us i think there is a possibility we can but um, collectively if you're facing a um an issue with Mary Magdalene that due to her extreme popularity, um, she's already have many faces and understanding attached to her name that perhaps not, not taking you to that direction. Yeah. So it, it very much depends on whether we can in any way claim Mary Magdalene uh, in connection to that more earthly emanation um, from maybe, you know, how she enters uh, most I'm going to speak for women, um, and I'm sure a man in this group can relate to in a way. Um, she appears to us as a womb priestess. To a lot of people, she appears as a womb priestess, as a sexual feminine, as a, as a priestess wife, right? But it's always in relation uh, to a masculine figure of history. She is not independently in our current trajectory in her current um, um, sort of embodiment and how people see her and speak about speak about her she does not appear as an independent consciousness she doesn't appear as an independent feminine anchor she does not appear as a wisdom keeper and as a teacher she either a feminist or are a sexually empowered woman and I think breaking her out of those cages which we've seen babylon being put into yeah, in, yeah. in in so many stories and so she's almost going through her own babylon journey historically speaking in a rate of timeline she's you know she's been a whore now she's a feminist now she's healing women's womb um and eventually hopefully uh she hopefully she will not be objectified by horny old man <laughs> she'll we just keep that <laughs> safe um and then she'll come uh come out of that sort of um bracketeering and we can really look at her as a concept of divine unconditional love and i see people speak about her as that but what i don't really see is is that con that actually understood and felt because even even using the words of we have been using j just now is that we're trying to understand the divine feminine as a concept and i really strongly believe that the divine feminine cannot be logically understood i think the divine feminine has to be experienced she has to be felt and she has to be physically experienced which is where the sexual mysteries come in and she has to be emotionally experienced and she has to be astrally experienced. 
So you know, we can use pretty words and write logical statements and, and, um, and you know, brand her again. Uh, but ultimately, we have to integrate that that experience. Um, and one of the questions I think was about my my em embodiment of of Mary Magdalene. I really feel that Mary's energy uh, in that divine feminine consciousness comes out in my teaching, but it it comes out in how I relate to my students. It comes out how I relate to the outside world. It also comes and um, embodied in me uh, in a way at times when I have to relate to other human beings. Well, can I, can I respond? It's not a spiritual practice for me. It's a lift practice. Yeah. I think, you know, invoking Mary in a, in a ritual, which I have done and I will do, and everyone else will have a different experience based on where their consciousness in is powerful. But ultimately is your lived experience of that unconditional love that she holds and anchors that will actually create the true embodiment. So bringing her close to, um, you know, the earth emanation of Babylon will happen when we can really, really um, move with her. We can really feel her. We can really anchor her in our body, in our bodies, in our hearts, in our, in our emotional intelligence instead of yeah. in our logical mind. I mean, I, I think we mentioned this in our previous chat about uh, that try to go always back to the rational side or the, you know, it's really like keep, it's, it's to keep giving the beast power as opposed to letting Babylon speak on top of the beast at least, at last. So since we spoke about um, the embodiment, Babylon, of course, uh, and, of, and we mentioned the, the idea that um, maybe a way way to start understanding this embodiment is through the sexual mysteries. Uh, this is a question from Ryan, and this was asking that uh, when you were on, on Jake Coburn's podcast, you were actually negating a lot of what people considered sex magic to be. Uh, so what do you say, do you define sex magic? And by the way, I agree with you, obviously. <laughs> do you define sex magic as and what mindsets and practices are important for beginners? Uh, or maybe even for those with some amount of experience, um, what preparatory work is required before engaging in such practice? Okay, I like this question. Um, and I had to really quickly listen to the podcast with Jake. Like, what did I say? Negating the concept of sex magic? Kind of, but not really. What I'm negating or what I'm sort of saying um, in that podcast, and I'm going to repeat that here to an extent just to give context to those who didn't listen. Um, is that I really don't like how uh, sexual magic is 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 um, is really um, portrayed as a manifestation tool uh, as opposed to a sacred ritual practice. Mm -hmm. um, and if you Google sex magic now, the first thing that will come up is Teen Woke, how to manifest your dreams with sex magic. <laughs> I'm not even kidding, kidding. go do it because I did it today. Um, and that is what I'm against, <laughs> and that is what I what I negated is that if if we we sort of have this new wave of sexual magic out there that is solely and singularly focused on manifestation of desires and abundance, and we all know that when we chase desires with life force and energy, um, we manifest other things, yep. but 
perhaps we receive some level of our desired outcome. Yes, we can, we can generate money. Yes, you can. You can generate money directing your sexual energy. So what? You can probably uh, pull in um, experiences, offers, work, anything physically manifested using your sexual energy, but you will pull in other things as well. So where I'm at really with sexual magic um, is really to, to sort of go back to the origin of sexual magic and the original intention of cultivating um, this practice is to exchange life force energy, which is a form of source magic. And when we practice source magic, ultimately we do it to get closer to source. Kind of gives it away in the name. So I practice sex magic in a way, and this is what I teach and that is what I cultivate, that helps your soul evolution in a non-selfish way, and it gets you closer to source. It gets you closer to the thing, to God, to your highest emanation. And that individual, uh, when evolved such way through these sexual practices, then has a, a better influence on the world. And I really believe that a good uh, practitioner of sex magic should use their sexual force energy to create better outcomes for the collective also. But that comes a lot later. We've gone, it's kind of gone, gone going in, in a sort of greed and self-serving path when it comes to sex magic. And because we're talking about sexual life force energy and we know that the sexual energy in this current world, in this reality is super corrupted, we can really stumble into some, um, some, some deep holes as semi along where would say you will grow the devil's tail. I mean, if you're into that stuff, then go for it. Um, it's not how I practice and it's not what I teach. Um, um, you know, again, once again, you, you touch on things that we were discussing a few days ago. Um, one thing that I uh, that I made very clear is that in, in our community, I kind of don't want to do magic for result. And of course, this kind of uh, you know, destroys my, my reach, if you want, because everybody say, hey, let's manifest this. Let's well, manifest I ain't getting anything. Exactly. Well, for me, my point is, is actually, um, no, I mean, uh, that was exactly what you said. Everything that, that we do, it's really theurgy in the sense, theurgy and internal alchemy in the sense of bettering yourself. And by bettering mm -hmm. yourself, you ideally, start bettering the world around you uh yes you can you can use the occasional sigil uh which usually it's fueled by squiggles and uh, other things that i'm not going to mention <laughs> but uh, the, the point is that to what end um uh, it, it, you 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 really you really nailed it and th thank you so much for being like so eloquent about that well that was also also i just want to finish answering this oh, question please. as Absolutely. well because they were asking about if i remember right practices and what can you kind of do yeah yeah. Um, okay, don't do at home sex magic. <laughs> this is interesting. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Uh, don't just sort of go, okay, honey, you and I are going to get down to it tonight and we're going to practice sex magic. I'm going to do this and we're going to follow this book. We're going to cultivate our sexual energy. Um, I mean, you're going to have fun, but you can also sort of invoke certain experiences and energies that, that you'd rather not have in your field. So cultivating and, and preparing yourself for practice has sort of a, a, a mind, body and soul layer that I, I, uh, I encourage people. And the first step is contemplate unconditional love. And I think I, uh, I said that at uh, Jake's podcast as well is the first step 
uh, to begin your practices is contemplating what love means to you because that love you will need to feel and express and channel through your entire energy body. You can call it the chakra system or you know the Kabbalah, the Kabbalistic tree of life, whatever, it doesn't really matter. Because ultimately you want that sexual energy force to travel through every power, power center of your body and you want to feel that it's traveling through. You want to have a sense that it's traveling, you feel where it's perhaps blocked, hopefully not. And you want to circulate that energy with your partner. And that partner should be someone who knows you very well, that's someone who understands what's happening, right? Because if it doesn't, then we go in on the spiritual ritual abuse side of things and we don't want to do that. Um, someone who is prepared and capable of perhaps doing the same. And you can practice moving this energy without a partner, you can just do it uh, on your own. Um, so that would be the physical aspect of it, but you need to know how your sexual energy behaves for men. I really suggest that you learn to withhold your seed. Right. Yeah, yeah, correct. And, uh, I agree. And that is super simple. It's breath work. It's not that hard. Um, and and but and 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 a little bit it is, and it's supposed to be, yeah. because this these these experiences and these magical gifts are not bestowed upon people just just because, right? Um, and if any man, on call, any man on the call want to learn, uh, see me after class. I can I can teach you one thing or two how to do it. <laughs> there you go. So for women, we got an easier job. Let's be honest, because our sexual energy does not leave our body at uh, a moment of orgasm. So, but we still need to focus on our heart and mind space because our emotional field, if it's conflicted, uncomfortable in any way infiltrated and our mental space is in any way infiltrated then actually we are the manifestors so in, in in a couple ritual you really are the one who projects the energy and if you're not clear and if you're not anchored then you will be almost single-handedly responsible for a lot of mass right so Clarity in the heart, clarity in the emotional field, complete honesty, complete unconditional love needs to be felt and your mind needs to be clear. So practices that are meditative, wall gazing, I really like, you have to actually achieve a, uh, at least a couple of moments of clarity within your mental field. And for women with chattering minds, that is a super big challenge. I need to also touch on for women especially, but applies to men as well, sexual traumas. If you carry a lot of sexual traumas, those need to be either managed during the practice or cleared, ideally cleared. We all have it, okay? Nobody's immune because because we're we're the traumatized generation, um, all of us, um, unless if you're like six, seven hundred years old, but even then probably. So um, so we all have it. It's it's, it's you know it's it's like. Um, just nothing nothing special about it it's not unique that it's very important that we're clearing those traumatized energies we are it's or it's in our awareness so that if it comes up we know how to handle it because that cannot be remanifested when we circulating sexual energy so those are kind of the building blocks that that each partner needs to work on and yes you can practice sex magic without a partner as well so but you still have to do all those preparatory practices before you're even thinking about allowing your sexual energy, your source to to go anywhere outside of your field. Uh, something that you mentioned, the fact that both both um, 
but partners needs to be adults needs to be uh, need to know what they're doing it's also the reason why for all of you are interested in in Telemann and our old friend Alistair Crowley is the reason why when you read the Alistair Crowley diaries you realize that 75 80 percent of his magical practice uh, his sex magical practice never bore any fruit because he was engaging you know with prostitutes with with people that he didn't care for he he wasn't he was a sexual abuser in many ways and this is one the big big thing that can be said in telemic circles no crowley you can say that about crowley um the proof is in the pudding like his sex magic was not successful most of the times <laughs> so you know that's that's the point right uh, he was very honest in um, in writing it down for us to to have the evidence. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, sex magic has to be done with a partner uh, that the partner, as you know, like know what they're doing. <laughs> like as you all know, you must know what you're doing. Uh, this also kind of invalidate, I think, a lot of the chaos magic approach that you know every sigil will work. Mm, I don't know about that. This is why most sigils don't work. Not because the, the the technique is not valid, but because you don't have you don't you're not able to generate the energy needed for that to, to give birth to that sigil. Um, so yeah, it's it's a bit more complicated than than just you know just having fun. <laughs> Absolutely, there's also another element, um, and that relates to what you said about the sigil that a lot of people are actually perfectly capable of generating the energy. Um, but we need to hold control in a moment of ecstasy. And a two is a very sort of paradoxical experience. Yeah. Because ecstasy implies that you're letting go completely, right? That That is almost like a necessary component. And yet you need to control the energy itself. And I think sometimes those who can generate the energy simply just direct it to the wrong place. Yeah. So it, it, it as something will manifest, something will be created. Every sexual encounter has an energy child. Yeah. every single sexual encounter i mean what is where the concept of the eucharist comes from while the bread is white yeah. uh <laughs> while the while the wine, the is, wine red. is red <laughs> while the wine is red exactly i was about to say uh those are specific fluids um that can be uh that need to be eaten Gemma <laughs> okay. was asking uh, if you can actually if you can actually talk, talk, talk a little bit on example of your training for priestesses how do you, um, and also if you have any particular writers that influence your practice, uh, or is it similar to what, for instance, Amodalis um, writes about she had a more direct connection with the energy and vital force of the divine feminine. And also, if it's possible to hear a little about the myth lines you follow regarding those, uh, those myth animals of dragon, serpent, and lion. Okay, um, how do I do, how, how are we doing on time? Uh, I mean, we're we're fine on time. It's more about uh, like okay. I, I, I whenever you're your mind. Okay. So <laughs> in terms of yeah, in terms of what I teach um, and what I practice is obviously the same thing. Ideally, it should be. Idea. Um, so, uh, so my priestess practices really now um, are anchored in the, um, in a, a certain level of uh, ceremonial magic and ritual magic. Um, it is cultivated um, with my co-creation and relationship with the fairy host mm -hmm. and with nature itself. Um, and, um, and there's another layer of embodiment through teaching, creating creative work, movement, uh, temple keeping. So all those elements really come into it. And that is what I teach. I train priestesses or I have an apprenticeship course where we really go through 
um, the sort of mental aspect of understanding a divine feminine. We study um, cosmology, we study Egyptology, uh, we study a divine feminine emanation in all cultures, actually, or I weave all cultures in. If I see there's a relevant face in a different tradition, then we need to be aware. I think a good priestess is really is educated um, in the history and myth of her art, first step. We also do um, in, on these courses a lot of um, soul work. Um, so I make sure that um, my students have a good uh, understanding of uh, the certain layers and aspects of their souls. Um, they are aware of their highest emanation and, and form and they are aware of their sort of most anchored truth. People call it the true north, right? Or, or your, your Ren name in Egyptian practices, we call it the Ren name, like the sound, the vibration of your, uh, of your creational moment. Um, so I really take people back to connecting those soul aspects and elements which most human um, manifested in bodies today um, have lost along the way, um, whether it was willed away, given away or taken either or. Um, so there's a large part. And then we move on to uh, the ceremonial and ritual practices. We, we move on to the creation of certain offerings. Uh, we go on to how we can cultivate these practices in a 21st century because obviously, obviously some of these things make sense from a mythological and, and ritual perspective but in practice there we're a bit out of time um, so that's kind of the first stage of the training and, and I really then let people hands go just for a bit and let them experience life and let things come through that for them and if they are still feel uh, anchored in that path that they want to be devoted to uh, the priestess path, then they can dedicate uh, a couple of months later. So that's kind of the process. I um, come from, um, as I said earlier, I come from the cult of Isis. So I was for my formulas and training comes from uh, that sort of Egyptian um, cosmology, uh, the sort of Egyptian ritual magic. Um, which is actually not the same as most Talamite know as Egyptian ritual magic. Oh, absolutely there not. Are, <laughs> yeah, there are there are cross references, like the names are on point. Sometimes, <laughs> not all the time. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes they're a bit Romanized, but <laughs> exactly. so it's not the same. But, but there are obviously um, somewhat related. Um, and um, I, yes, I've, I've studied a lot of books. I'm an academic, so books are kind of my thing. I, I've got uh, certain writers that have influenced me. Um, I studied, uh, um, I like, Naglavska is one of my favorite writers for uh, Isis Magic by Isadora Forrest in terms of ritual practices. I think what she created, even though it's, it's neo-pagan, is phenomenal. Um, and, and, and I study um, traditional Egyptian text, I study scripture, scriptures, I used to work in the, uh, the British Museum, um, so it was fairly easy for me to, to access some of this material. I, I tried to, I've studied the Nakamandi text um, and, and a lot of other materials as well that are more Gnostic. Um, so now I do, I do have those um, sort of influences and, and also, yes, to the other part of the question, most of my experiences that make it into my actual lived embodiment come from spirit directly or the goddess herself if, if you like that word directly so i do a lot of my work in the astral and the dream realms um 
so that's that's the same for them when when, when it comes for to those particular three animals like you know the dragon the serpent the lion that's what you mean like it's it's connections with the that came from you know the other the, the goddess or something like that right yes yes to an extent so i consider so the lion and a serpent are um are initiatory stages of a of of an initiation of a myth a certain path a certain passage um, but I also connect to these as as like archetypes or guides, mm-hmm. right? So so they they manifest to me as guides with their very specific information. And my relationship with the lion was su- li- lions actually with in Africa with with the white lions um, was super accidental, and they really brought me back from like a um, a, a near death experience. Wow. Uh, literally. And then I started cultivating the lion energy and studying the, the Zulu tribal wisdom. I was working with Linda Tucker at the time, who is the founder of the White Lion Protection Trust. Um, so I was actually working with these animals and I'd done the same with snakes and serpents. A bit harder to do it with dragons because it's not like you can <laughs> bump into them. Um, but I would actually um, work with the animal in a spirit guide form. I would work with the consciousness. I would work with the, the, the sort of actual um, manifested creature. Um, and also the, the traditions, the serpentine traditions and the serpent path that which is one of the oldest existing mythological, mythical and magical tradition, uh, all connecting almost every ancient spiritual yeah. path. Um, this is a question from, from Lawrence, and I, I'm going to take the, the last two questions, but, uh, but because again, We've been, we've been covering a lot of ground here. Um, Lawrence is asking if you can tell us a little more about the Order of the Black Rose. Apart from being the name of your coven, is there a significance uh, of the symbolism in the Black Rose? Does it any way relate to the Celtic legend of the Roshinduv uh, concerning the Druids in Ireland who possessed sacred knowledge and were robed in red and black with a Black Rose as emblem on the robe? Mm-hmm. So the Roshinduv really means uh, little dark rose mm-hmm. or dark rose. Um, and I'm familiar with the Druidic traditions. So the answer is kind of yes and no. So the reason um, the order is called the Black Rose is because the anima of the Black Rose, the consciousness of the Black, black Rose is transformational. Mm-hmm. That, is, that is the actual energy the Black Rose carries uh, in, in, in all traditions that work with the Rose is, is the moment, of, moment before death, the moment before birth. Um, so those are the kind of energies that we've we tapped into and we're working and are working with in the Order of the Black Rose. And it is an order that follows Celtic Druidic sex magic, which is different than the sex magic we were talking about earlier. And it's very specific. Um, so there is that Celtic Druidic element, but the order wasn't named based on that um, that mythological story as much as I really like it I think and there's a beautiful poems written about it as well that's worse uh, actually it, there's a song too it's a good song <laughs> is there is, is is the is the order is the order open or is it invitation no. only it's only by invitation it's the order is only by invitation and the order is actually decided to take a year break um, for my sake so I can finish my book 
<laughs> and I can I can actually focus on 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 the work I'm uh, I'm sort of deep dived into right now. Um, so so right now we're 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 taking a sabbatical, but no, the the order is invitation only, and that will stay that way because of the nature of the work that we're doing in the order. Um, it's um, it's something that that uh, it's an approach that we we took we took also in uh, in EGU as in. Like I, I think we discussed this before. Like I really don't believe into uh, open open doors order. Like hey, as, as long as you find two sponsors, you're good to go, because that that never works out. Usually it's about well, it was supposed to be like, those two, two sponsors should know you and vouch for you, but most of the times just people you met at the pub. Uh, <laughs> so hey, that's that's not. Nice. for some people. I don't think it's really a good ground to found a sex magic group on there. Yeah, that's, uh... <laughs> we didn't use this approach. I think for some orders this works. Uh, I'm not completely against open um, ritual orders or covens, uh, just for this because how specific the nature of and, and what the tra the tra tradition is followed. Um, it it has to be selective. It doesn't work, and it's no point maintaining and putting effort into an order if. Yeah, if you go full of art, yeah, I agree. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, we have time for one more question. And um, what is this? Yes, this one from Peter. Uh, so Peter is asking, uh, what advice do you have for a solo practitioner who wants to connect to the magical currents of a place? How might they find a good location for such endeavor? Uh, what might they, uh, they do? Uh, what might they, they do to connect to the place once they know it? Uh, and on also a little corollary, and given your personal connection to both Celtic and Egyptian tradition, uh, where do you feel there is the strongest overlap or points of connections between this tradition? I guess maybe also in place, you know. Mm. Okay, this this is a really this is a massive. <laughs> we we finished we finished. Massive with, question. Finish I was this one sentence. <laughs> okay, so um, to to go back to the sort of first. Um, first part of the I can I could actually start with the end but no let's let's start with the fir, first part of this um this question the mass, this is this is a chapter of a book more or less. <laughs> <laughs> um Okay, I'm gonna start with the end actually because that makes a little bit more sense to build it up like that and if you want to just like make sure we covered everything right so yes so so um i work with both the celtic tradition which is which is which is a sort of druidic tradition and the egyptian and the reason why is because they both actually in my blood i'm half irish hungarian and i have arabic egyptian blood so it kind of came naturally just while whilst doing my um, sort of ancestry research as I as I discussed earlier. Um, the first base I look is oh, how is magic practiced, right? Um, so so it's, it's almost like a natural succession, and I think there is actually very strong connecting points between the two. Um, and some of those connecting points are places, um, but more so ideologies and beliefs. So if you look at the Celts, and I'm specifically going to refer to the Irish and the Gaelic uh, Celts, right? There are other there are European Celtic tribes as well. So Celtic is not limited to just uh, the islands of the United Kingdom. Um, but the Irish Celts um, arrived to Ireland. They weren't there to begin with uh, from very likely um, a Sumerian 
tribe. So we know how strongly intertwined the Sumerian and the Egyptian tradition there. And in terms of religious beliefs, in terms of their connection to uh, the sun, their solar worship, in terms of how they were animistic and recognized spirit in every living being, um, th those, those um, threads are, are present in, in both traditions. Um, the, the, the work with deities is actually the only real difference. The concept of uh, Egyptian uh, worship is very um, devotional, mm -hmm. right? It's all about keeping temple space. It's all about uh, cultivating that very um, hierarchical relationship with the deities, whilst the Celtic um, and the Irish Celtic traditions are focusing on co-creation. Mm -hmm. There is no pyramid scheme. We're working as a team. I've got something you need. You got something I need. We put our two and two together and we're gonna do the work. It's very, very work focused, but it's also healing focused. I, I, the, the Irish Celtic magical traditions actually focus on healing our planet. Mm -hmm. And that is where those uh, locations come in. Um, so if you look at sort of sacred sites, right, I'm assuming that is what the question was referring to. A spiritually charged places are spiritually charged because there is this huge time frame where people, practitioners, heart, souls, and spirit goes there to charge it with their intention, their thoughts, their energy. And then sometimes, of course, they do that because there is a historical event that happened in the specific sacred site. Sometimes it's because, you know, we can be aware of ley lines and there are certain ley lines that are connected. And there's, there is actually a stratospheric energy that's charged there, right? So it's an electric charge to, to the field of that place. Uh, stone circles are a good example of that. Um, but sometimes these places are actually charged by our, our intention and our consciousness. And if we, you know, if we're praying at the same spot for 6,000 years, that spot's going to be powerful yeah. because it's charged by your, your prayer. So that is actually high work with the energy. Uh, so for a complete beginner is entering any kind of sacred uh, religious site, whether it's in alignment with your beliefs or traditions or not, should be done with respect. You declare who you are, why are you there, and do you have permission to enter or not? And if you get a firm no, don't force yourself in there because especially fairy sites, especially storm circles, you're gonna get a ass kicking. <laughs> and, a, and an etheric one of those, and they're not pleasant. Um, so knowing who we are, knowing our boundaries with these places, then the next step is to work with the spirit that is still alive and reside within those places. Sometimes these spirits are playful Sometimes they're tricksters, sometimes they're super grumpy, right? Because they don't actually like y you as, as... Or humanity in general, yeah. Or humanity in general, that's a big one, yeah. And they're just like, oh, you're one of those. Um, and then you need to prove yourself, right? You can work with the energy and these spirits by making those exchanges, making offerings, you know, and just know that they see your heart and they say your truth. So, so as, as honest as you enter, the, the better chance you got to actually experience co-creation. If it's a place that has very heavy history and your intention and work is actually about clearing and cleansing that you really have to understand what, what went down and what happened. And sometimes psychic abilities came in there. Sometimes communication comes in there. That's, that's like a very, very deep devotional 
mystical magical work some people do just that in their entire life um i'm not one of them i have my favorite sites that i cultivate relationship with but i don't have the calling to sort of travel around and like clear these spaces uh well thank you so much i think we, we covered everything and i mean uh here in glastonbury i mean this is this is <laughs> this is the center of a lot of things here so there's there's definitely like oh some of you that were here at the beginning of the month of the you know, last month because time is weird as usual know what it's like to you know to go on the tour and connect with you know the spirit of the place there and uh, or even walking around uh the springs and and whatnot the, there's definitely there's definitely a very important point to be made that again to, co to connect to the beginning of the discussion and, and, and find a perfect circle to close it up to embody your practice to go out in the world and do magic in the world <laughs> yeah you can start in your room you can start in your temple you can you can invoke and evoke everything in your space but then we've got to remember that there's the, the world out there is still out there and there's still like and the wisdom magical wisdom is found out there on that note uh, thank you, Dea, for for being with us tonight. Thank you so much. Uh, where can we find you? Where can we find you on the online? Thank you so much for having me. Um, you can find me online and priestesdea.com. Um, most of my offerings are on there. You can email me and reach out to me. I um, I like to talk to people, so I I usually am pretty good at replying. Um, um, you can find me on Instagram as I am Dea Isidora and um, yeah, priestessdea gmail.com is my email address. So all those places and um, yeah, just um, Fantastic. connect, reach out, ask your questions. Uh, I also have a podcast on Spotify called Ask the Occultist Next Door, which you can listen to, which, which our conversation is on there that we were referring earlier. And right now I'm in a very sort of deep dive creational process of, of uh, fi finishing some big projects. So I, I kind of offer one-on-one -on -one, um, work and classes and I still train my priestesses, but I haven't been really putting anything um, massive out there uh, for people to tap into. But yeah, there's, there's plenty out there. Fantastic. We will, we're definitely waiting for, for the book to come out. It, it sounds like good. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, thank you, thank you for being with us tonight, um, and uh, we'll see you to the next ramble. Do what the will shall be the whole of the law. The law is the law. The law and the will. <laughs>